So tonight we keep going in our Vintage Jesus series. Um, here's your handouts right here. So if you want to take notes, come get it. There's some over there on that side. There's some right here. Somebody write down the names of everybody that uh, comes up here and gets a sheet of paper to take notes on. Uh, that person will, all of you will... Get a good blessing from taking notes. Let's see, I'm counting. All right, I'm taking note on who's not. Cassie, write down all their names. Where's Cassie at? Okay, awesome. What you doing up there? You never know. You might refer back to these notes one day and... Get saved. I mean, who knows? Who knows what will happen? These notes might turn into money. I mean, you never know. There's some right over there. There you go. Well, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't have one. So, uh, um, yeah, my boy right there found him one. Get off the stage. Just kidding. All right. Hey, join me in prayer, dear Father, Lord God, as we uh, now come to this part of the worship time, Lord, we have sung the songs, God, and my prayer is that you heard the, the noise, the, the cries, God, uh, of our hearts, and that they fell upon you, that, that, God, we lifted up that worship to you, and we acknowledge, God, that you did pay it all, and God, because you paid it all, you paid it all for us, Lord. And God, even if you wouldn't have, even if you would not have allowed your son to die on that cross, even if, even if none of that would have ever happened, you still, God, would be acknowledged as the highest and the greatest because there is no other gods before you. But God, the fact that you did send your son and the fact that he did die on a cross and the fact that he did rise from the dead, the fact, God, that he did that willingly and he did that for me and he did that for uh, all these students, God, that fact alone makes you the highest and the greatest. And God, he needs to be that in our life. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We praise you and we give this time to you. Amen. Guys, we've been studying the last several weeks Vintage Jesus. And, you know, some of you may be asking yourself the question, I don't have a clue why we're doing this. And the reality is this. I want to make it clear to you tonight why we're doing what we're doing because we're going to keep going we've been doing this for five weeks now and there's another five weeks left as part of this series and and what we're looking to do in this 10 weeks is to take questions that that you may have or that other people may have and we want to answer those questions so that we can undoubtedly prove that Jesus was exactly who he said he was he claimed to be the Son of God. He, came, he claimed to be, as we've uh, looked at, he claimed to be God in the flesh. God who came down, took on a form, our form, who came to this earth, who walked 
the same paths that we walk, who experience the same temptations that we have experienced, and yet he, he came here, he was rejected, and yet he still willingly went to the cross. And as we saw last week, as we saw last week, on the cross he accomplished demonstrating the love of God and that even though we rejected him while he was on this earth, he was still willing to go and die for our sins. We know for sure that Jesus was real. <clears throat> we know that, you know, not just the Bible tells us that, but, but there are other historians that tell us that. People that didn't even like Jesus, uh, there's, there's writings that have agreed that, that Jesus was real. We know for sure that Jesus did amazing acts of kindness. People don't dispute that. Nobody disputes that Jesus did great things. Most people don't even dispute that Jesus was a great man, a great teacher. Nobody disputes, disputes that. Disputes. I like that word. That's my new word. But what most scholars... And everyday people, what they do dispute is the claim that Jesus was God in the flesh. They dispute the fact that Jesus came to this earth to seek and save those who are lost. This reason alone, for those people that dispute these things, is why we have taken the last five weeks and we'll take the next five weeks to continue to look at who Jesus really was and what Jesus was really about. Because when you walk out of here in five weeks, my prayer is that you will have a better understanding about who Jesus Christ is, who he was then, who he is today. Because that's important. That's important. Because the reality of it for you is this. If he was who he claimed to be. And over the next five weeks, the previous five and the next five, if we prove that, which we will, that Jesus was exactly who he says he was, here's what that means to you. If you aren't saved, you're in trouble. Because... Science cannot disprove that Jesus was not God. It's impossible. And the reality is, is if Jesus was who exactly he says he was, then that means that what he says, what he said then and what he says now is very true. And what he says now is in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. And what that means is, is if you don't believe in him, and you don't allow him to take over, and you don't surrender your life to him, and make his ways your ways, and start making decisions based on him, and learning the way he wants you to live, just to surrender yourself fully over to him, if you don't do that, then guys, the reality is this, you're going to hell if you die. And I passionately do not want any of you 
to suffer that kind of fate. But I can stand up here until I am blue in the face, week after week after week after week, and I can tell you these things, and you may have the head knowledge. You may have the head knowledge. You may think that you know it, and you may think that you really believe it, but the truth of the matter is, is if you truly believe it, you will live it out. It will become who you are. It will change your life. And that's how you know that you're saved. Is your life different than everybody else's? Are you making wiser decisions than everybody else? That's how you know you're saved. If you can't point back to a time when you had this change, when you stopped being one person and started being a new person, because in 1 Corinthians 5.17, it says that once you were saved, the old is gone. It does not exist anymore. The new has come. A new person, a new, a new desire, a new passion is born. If you can't look back and see that, then you and I need to have a serious discussion because you are lost. But it is not until you realize that you are lost that we can have that discussion because you, you can't be found unless you're lost. you got to know that you're lost before you start looking for somebody to help you be found. And I want to help you be found. But you got to realize first that you're lost. So if you come to that conclusion, you need to talk to me. If you know you're lost, I can show you how to be found. And that's what all this means. That's what all this means. That's what the purpose of everything that we do, that's what it's about. It's finding the lost. It's first of all, helping them see that they're lost. And then secondly, it's finding them. And then third, it's to teach you about our Savior. That's what we need to do. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the question, did Jesus rise from the grave? And all of you are immediately going to go, yes. But the truth of the matter is, how do you know? Have you ever seen him? Have you ever touched him? Because there's a lot of people out there that say it's impossible. There's no way that somebody could die and come back to life. And so tonight we're going to look at three theories about Jesus and the resurrection. And then we're going to look at a fact. Okay? So we're going to be looking at three theories and one fact. If you get cold tonight, because I like it cold in here. These lights make me sweat. So if you get cold tonight, raise your hand. All right. Miss Paget, right over there on that side, just knock that thing up to 72. Right now it's on 55. No, I'm just kidding. 72. Yes, ma'am. It should shut it off. All right, here we go. So did Jesus rise from the grave? Th three theories and one fact. Now, I want you to understand something. For three and a half years, for three and a half years, Jesus' disciples followed him everywhere he went. These guys were somewhere between the age of possibly 13 
to 18 years old, all right? And Jesus is 30 when he meets up with them. And so, and so for three and a half years, he, they follow him everywhere. They, they camp out together. They spend time together. They pray together. They learn together. They're doing everything together. And they become extremely tight-knit. They listened to Jesus. They followed him. He became their best friend. And, and many of these disciples, on the day that Jesus was crucified, just imagine this. Imagine your best friend, somebody that you love dearly, and you sit there and you watch them being brutally beaten and then hung on a cross and killed when they had done absolutely nothing wrong. That's what these disciples experienced. They were convinced that the end of their time with Jesus had come. They were confused. They were scared. These disciples, they didn't get it. Three and a half years they'd been with him, they didn't get it. They thought Jesus had come to the earth to free the Jews. They were, they were, um, my mind just went blank. There was no doubt in their mind that Jesus had come to the earth to wipe out Rome and to reestablish them as the greatest power on the earth. Okay? That's what they were expecting their Messiah to do. And so he was supposed to have been this great warrior. And for three and a half years, these disciples, they still thought that's what he was going to do. He was going to return them to power. And now they have just stood and they have just witnessed him allow himself to be beaten. If you remember back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, when they go to arrest Jesus, he pulls his sword, he cuts off the ear of the Roman soldier. He thought that the revolution was starting. He thought that a war was about to break out and that Jesus was going to lead them to victory. But not 24 hours later, Peter is denying Jesus and he's hiding because the one that he thought was going to lead them to this great victory is dead. They didn't get it. They stood there, some of them. And they watched as Jesus' body was taken off of the cross. The last words that they heard him speak was, it is finished. And so for these disciples and their mentality, it was. It was finished. It was over. Some of them, they helped take his body off the cross. They watched as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped his body. They watched as they took it to the tomb. They wouldn't go, but they watched as Jesus' his body was taken off to the tomb, to Joseph's tomb, where there it was placed. The stone was placed in front of it, and Roman soldiers, the Bible accounts that there were three, possibly could have been more. We don't know for sure. Roman soldiers stood outside and guarded it. The disciples then left, and they went into hiding. You see, this is the story 
that almost everybody agrees with. Jesus was a good man. He was crucified for claiming to be God. And he died. There's not many that dispute that. But that's not the end of the story. No matter how many people have tried to disprove it, nobody can disprove the fact he rose from the dead. It can't be proven that he did. There's more evidence that shows that he did than there is that he did. So tonight we're going to look at three theories about Jesus and the resurrection. The first is this. There was a theory that said Jesus was not really dead. There's a lady named Mary Baker Eddy. She is the founder of a religion called the Christian Science Religion. And even though this religion has no hint of Christianity in it, it has no hint of science in it, I don't know why it's called Christian science, okay? It's not scientific. It has no Christianity. It would almost be like somebody saying, hey, right here in my hand I have chocolate and peanuts, and it not being a bit of chocolate or peanuts there. You see what I'm saying? It's empty. There's nothing to it. Anyway, she, she is taught that Jesus experienced the brutality of the beatings. She teaches that Jesus, or taught, she's dead now, she taught that Jesus was placed on the cross. She then taught that Jesus was pretending to be dead, that he was then taken off the cross, wrapped in these clothes, okay, these, uh, these wraps, placed in a tomb. Now that part is, is true. He, he did do that, okay? He was wrapped in the clothes. He was placed in the tomb. But here's where she gets a little crazy, and I'm pretty sure she's eating some hallucinogenic mushrooms uh, to come up with this. But she thinks then that Jesus got up while he was in the tomb, that he had the strength to unravel himself out of the clothes, get up, walk over, move the stone from the inside, because he pretended to be dead, go out the door, kill, or not kill because they weren't dead, make the Roman soldiers think that he's, I mean, make the Roman soldiers pass out, which if I see a half-beaten, half-dead guy with a big wound in his side come walking out of a tomb where he just moved the stone, I might pass out myself. But anyway, he slips past the Roman guards, goes off into hiding to never be seen again. That's her theory. That's the theory of Christian science. Their theory is that Jesus was really not dead. However, Isaiah 50 verse 6 says this. Jesus was brutally beaten. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Matthew 26 Verse 26, verse 67, says this, Then they, the 70 members of the Sanhedrin court, then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. They slapped him. 70 people beat him and slapped him. Then he 
in Matthew 27, verse, 20, uh, verse 26, it says, Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And so remember last week we talked about when Jesus was flogged, that it was done with the cat of nine tails, and that at the end of the whip was these metal bars, these metal strands that were really sharp, and that when they lashed Jesus, they would lash him over and over and over. You see, Jewish law, in Jewish law, he could not, um, the Jews, if they were the ones doing this, they were not allowed to whip him beyond 39 slashes. However, he's being whipped by Romans. And so as many times as they wanted to whip him, they could. Remember, we talked about last week the fact that most men who were sentenced to be crucified didn't even survive the beating that they were given before they were taken to the cross. Jesus was brutally beaten. His flesh was ripped front and back. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. So he's bleeding all over his body. He's bleeding on his back. He's bleeding down the front. He's bleeding from his head. He's not only losing blood, he's losing water. He's losing his energy. He's had no sleep. He's had no food. He's had no water. He's then given a 100-pound cross and told to carry it to Calvary. He makes it a little way. He didn't have the energy, unless he's a great actor, he didn't have the energy to make that cross go. He couldn't carry it. The second reason that this is a ridiculous, ridiculous theory is the fact that Jesus was hung from the tree. Mark 16, 24 says, they nailed him to the cross. Remember last week we talked about the fact that they took these nails that were five to seven inches in length. They were made out of metal. They were rugged. They were probably reused. And they stretched out his hands and the most sensitive nerve endings in the entire body. They placed him on the cross and they nailed him to it. So now he's bleeding from his head. He's bleeding all over his body. He's now got blood gushing out of his hands and out of his feet. Have you ever stepped on a nail before? Did you really want to walk after you stepped on a nail? I don't think so. Imagine a nail going into your feet being hammered five to seven inches in length. He's not going to want to get up and walk out of a tomb. The third theory, the third reason that this theory is crazy is that Jesus' side was pierced. John 19, verse 34 says, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. More than likely, when that spear went into Jesus' body, it pierced the blood sack right below his heart. That's where a lot of the blood comes from. The blood comes out first and then the water. The water pours out because there's no blood left. Even though he was already dead, remember he cried out, it is finished. They were still making sure. So it makes no sense whatsoever for anybody to say that he was not dead. If you have been beaten beyond recognition if you have been drained, basically, of most of your blood, and then you had your blood sack underneath your heart pierced with a spear, you're dead. 
Jesus was dead. Not to mention the fact that he was taken off the cross, wrapped up in these uh, cloths. He would have suffocated. Unless Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were playing along. But I'm pretty sure they would have told somebody. And they wouldn't have believed in him anymore. The second theory is this. The disciples went to the wrong tomb. This theory claims that when the disciples went back early on Sunday morning to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial, that they went to the wrong tomb. And, but this is highly unlikely because the Bible says that the tomb wasn't that far from the burial site. If you would, look with me, please, in Luke chapter 23. And we'll look at verses 50 through uh, 56. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56. I wrote that down wrong. Hold on. Luke chapter 23. I'm sorry. What did I say? Luke 3? Did I say Luke 3? I don't care. Luke 23, verses 50 through 56. It says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not considered, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and his body and how it was laid then they returned and prepared spices and ointments on the sabbath they rested according to the commandment so they rested friday they take jesus's body down they take it and they place it in the tomb mary mary magdalene they all go with uh, joseph and um, nicodemus and they place it in the tomb they cover it up they put the rock over it their plan was to go back uh, they were going to try to go back before sunset to get Jesus' body prepared for burial, which was the Jewish custom. They couldn't get back before sunset, so they were going to have to wait. They're going to have to wait and rest on the Sabbath. That was their tradition, no work on the Sabbath. Sabbath back then was on Saturday. Since Jesus resurrected from the dead on Sunday, it has since changed, and the Sabbath is now well honored on Sunday. Okay? But in this time period, the Sabbath was on Saturday. So they took Saturday and they rested. They didn't really rest, okay? But anyway, so then on Sunday morning, they got up. They go back to the tomb. The tomb is empty. But this theory says that they went to the wrong tomb. Here these ladies are on Saturday. They're anxiously awaiting the moment to be able to go back and prepare his body. They were devastated. They were anguished with what had just happened. They were sad. I don't think they're going to forget where they put the body. I lose my keys all the time. I don't think I'm going to lose a body. If, if something, heaven forbid, ever happened to Emily, I'm not going to forget what funeral home she's at. 
I'm going to know exactly how to get to her because I love her and I want to honor her. They were dead set on honoring Jesus. They're not going to forget where they put him. This wasn't the smartest group in the world, but they're not that ignorant. Common sense tells you this is ridiculous. They went to their own tomb. We're not even going to spend time on that point because it's just dumb. The next theory is this. The disciples stole the body. The disciples stole Jesus' body. This is the most popular theory of them all. Um, Some believe that the disciples waited until nightfall sometime between late Friday night and early Sunday morning. They went out and they wrestled these trained killers. We're not even sure if the disciples had a sword. We know Peter had a dagger. Anyway, they wrestled these trained soldiers, rolled the rock back, took the body, and went and hid it. And they hid it so well that nobody on the face of the earth has ever been able to find it. The easiest way to disprove that Jesus never was raised from the dead by God is to produce the body. Nobody has ever produced the body. The Discovery Channel may think that they found his bones, but if you watch that and really read about it, it's ludicrous, it's silly, it's as dumb as these theories are. If you, they would have proven it, they would have, somebody would have found the body. This is the most sought after body in the history of mankind. From that point up until now, they would have found the body. So, Let's look at, for just a moment, some of the things that go with this. You see, Peter was so afraid that he denied even knowing Jesus, okay? So here's the thought, that Peter took his boys, and they went back, and they wrestled these trained killers. So they're saying that sometime between Friday afternoon, Friday morning, something like that, when Peter was all about denying Christ and running away and hiding, that, that he grew some intestinal fortitude, and he went out and killed trained killers, okay? He became Jack Bauer. And if you don't watch 24, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but Jack Bauer is the man, and nobody will ever kill him. Anyway, so, so look with me in Luke 22, Luke 22, verses 54 through 61. And let me give you, kind of show you Peter's state of mind during this time. Luke 22, verses 54 through 61. It says, Then they seized him, talking about Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So at some point in time, Peter stops crying and is able to get his boys together to go and kill the Roman soldiers. That's their thinking. The second thing that I want you to understand about this is they say the, the fact that is that the disciples were so afraid that they went into hiding. See, they thought that because, that's why Peter denied Jesus. He thought that if he said, yes, I followed him, that, and they probably would have. These people were going to grab him and take him before the Sanhedrin, and he would have ended up like Jesus. He was scared. The disciples were scared. So they went into hiding. The Bible says that they went into a little building, and they stayed there. That's where they were when Mary and Mary and whoever else came running back to him and told him that he was alive. They were hiding out. Third, the truth of the matter is, this theory was made up by the Roman soldiers. If you would, go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Matthew writes this. He says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes, this comes to the governor's ears, Pilate, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The chief priest and the Roman officials made it up. The third theory I'm sorry. There was two theories and a fact. Not three. I got confused. All right. So two theories and a fact. Here's the fact. Disciples and apostles wouldn't die for a lie. Would you? I said it was actually two theories and a fact. Oh, I did. I did three. Um, okay. Thanks, James. James keeping me straight. All right. So four. Thanks, ma'am. So the fact is this. Disciples and apostles wouldn't die for a lie. I want you to understand. I want you to take a moment and look with me. And I want you to understand what happened to the disciples as a result of following Jesus. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Not like Bowling Greece, like the country of Greece, okay? He was crucified, he was killed there. 
Bartholomew, he preached to the Indians to whom uh, he also uh, gave, the, he preached to the Indians, okay? And uh, he was crucified there for it. He was actually crucified like Peter, upside down. James, the son of Alphaeus, when preaching in Jerusalem, was stoned to death by the Jews. He was buried there beside the temple. Uh, James, son of Zebedee, according to the book of Acts in the New Testament, James was killed by Herod. This is not the same Herod that was around when Jesus um, was born. This is the Herod that was around when Jesus was crucified. So this son, James, son of Zebedee, Acts 12, 1 says this, at, at that time, Herod the king threw on his hands to oppress some of those of the church. Acts 12, 2 says, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So Herod killed James, John's brother. John, brother of James, son of Zebedee. John was in Asia. There he was banished by Domitian, the king, to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he wasn't banished to the Isle of Patmos until after he had been boiled in water and survived it. Or something, boiled in oil. Was it oil? He was boiled in, in a thing of oil, and he survived it. And so they realized they couldn't kill him, so they put him out on the Isle of Patmos where he lived. It's there that he received the revelation, the book of Revelation. He received that in a vision from God. He wrote it. He died of old age. He's the only one that didn't die a horrible death, but I bet you anything that man was in some pain. Matthew was crucified. Not a lot is known about Matthew. Uh, Matthew kind of separated himself from the other apostles after Jesus' death. He went into the northern countries, and he lost contact. But we do know that Matthew was crucified. Peter. Peter preached the gospel in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Bethania, and Italy. And he even went into Asia. It was afterwards he was crucified in Rome by Caesar Nero. Peter was asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he deserved to be crucified the same way Christ was. Philip. Philip was crucified. He was also crucified upside down. Simon the Zealot, the son of Clopas, was also crucified. Um, he had his body dismembered by a Saul. Uh, Jude, Thaddeus, was crucified in Mesopotamia. Thomas, Thomas was thrust, I'm sorry, yeah, Thomas was thrust in the four members of his body with a pine spear. Uh, the four members of your body would be under your arms and behind your legs and wherever else they wanted to kill you at. Anyway, he died. As you know, Stephen was an apostle. Stephen was stoned to death. And of course, Paul, Paul the apostle, the first missionary, was beheaded by Nero in Rome. These guys gave up their lives. They gave up everything. Willingly. And all they had to do in order to not suffer and die was tell the world Jesus was a liar. That's all they had to do. Jesus himself, all he had to do was tell the world that he was lying. And he may not have had to suffer the way he suffered. These guys died because they knew that it was true. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, 
He appeared to over 500 people, and not people that necessarily knew each other outside of the disciples. But he appeared to almost all of the disciples. As a matter of fact, he did appear to them all because they were in a room, and he just appears before them, and he says, Peace I give to you. They knew it was true, and nobody has been ever, has ever been able to disprove it. And guys, there's a lot more crazy theories that I could have gone over. There's one about Jesus not really being buried in a tomb, and instead he was buried in the ground, and these dogs came up, and they dug up his body, and they carried it off and chewed him up, and his bones, and it was just some crazy stuff out there that people try to say about Jesus and the resurrection. And the reason that they do it is because they think that if you take away, they're right. If you take away and you disprove the resurrection, then you take away everything that we stand for. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen and we're worshiping this guy, then we are the fools for doing it. But guess what? We're not fools. The fool is the one that doesn't accept Christ as their Savior. The fool is the one that goes on trying to live life the way you want to live it instead of accepting the fact that he died for your sins. And I know that doesn't sound fun. And I know you're sitting there going, I've heard this. Dude, you talked about this last week. But guys, what's it going to take for it to sink into your head that Jesus was exactly who he said he was and the life that he offers for you is so much better than the one that a lot of you are choosing right now? Some of you are making some horrible decisions. And Jesus is just dying all over again because you keep making these bad decisions and you won't give in. So you have the head knowledge about Jesus, but the behavior may not reflect it. And so the question that I leave you with tonight is this one simple question. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Let's pray. Father, we, God, I just, my prayer, my prayer right now, God, is that these teenagers that don't know you come to reality, God. They, they, they have a reality check. And they come to this point where they realize that they're lost. That, God, some of these decisions that they're making, they're just getting more and more lost in the forest. And that, and that only by accepting the fact that they're lost, accepting the fact that they can't make these decisions on their own, accepting the fact, God, that they're making bad decisions and accepting you, accepting your hand to pull them out of the forest. God, that's, that's what it's all about, is, is you reaching out to us and us accepting it. Father, I want them to know you. I don't want them just to have head knowledge about you, God. I want them to believe in their heart that you're real and that you exist. Because, God, if they do, then they're going to live that way. They're going to live a life of purpose. They're going to live a life with you and for you. God, convict them if they don't know you. Let them know, God, that they may have the head knowledge, God, but that they really don't understand who you are. Convict them, God. Amen. Check out this video.